Hear ye, hear ye, word nerds. Be forewarned. This podcast contains saucy language of the modern and early modern variety. So plan your listening accordingly. Or don't. That's a choice you can make. Don't say we didn't warn you. Sure. Um, okay, so after Charlemont, his dad, his dad, I'm going to say that again. After <laughs> Char- you say that? so weird. His I dad. I don't know. You drunk? Um, no, I'm just going to blame it on my booster shot side effects. It's fine. Oh, that makes fine. me that's slur fine. my speech. Shakespeare Show. We're your hosts, Jess Hamlet and Aubrey Whitlock. And together we are Whamlet. And this week we're talking about Cyril Turner's The Atheist Tragedy, which is yes. like one of my favorite plays of all time. It's a good um, one. So each week on this podcast, we discuss a different place. Sometimes it's by Shakespeare, sometimes not. This week it's not. And it's also a 101 level episode. Aubrey, what does that mean? It means introductory stuff everything you need to know to have a general understanding of the play and its major themes and some other cool stuff that you're going to get nowhere else spoiler alert that's our opinions <gasps> yeah i know how dare you um, spoil it for people I know. <laughs> honestly rude i mean if you're tuning into a podcast you kind of already know that you're going to get the speaker's opinions i would hope unless you are new to planet earth I mean, that's that's <laughs> awful. You're you're really giving people a lot of credit there, Obs. I you're right. I probably am. <laughs> I'm, yeah, you're right. <laughs> Speaking of things we like, <laughs> like the human race, I guess that's a terrible segue. I don't know what that was. Um, it's time for our happy hour. Yeah, so we talk about stuff, stuff that we like. Yeah. Yeah, like, what do you got uh, for us this week? Uh, yeah, I just have a couple more uh, Instagram uh, accounts that I've been following. And by I, I mean the podcast has <laughs> been following because I don't have my own personal That's um, right. You Insta. don't. I don't. I don't. <laughs> I just like, I, I just try to curate very carefully what the podcast follows so yeah, that I fair. can follow it. But anyway, um, like I, you know, I check it for maybe five minutes a day. I'm a very, right. I'm yeah. very bad at this like social media thing. Anyway, um, two accounts that are helping me figure out what we mean when we say decolonize, decolonize basically anything, um, or, uh, one of them is at decolonize myself and the other one is at seeding sovereignty and they've just got a lot of hot takes, uh, you know, some are better than others, but like they are indigenous folks in Canada. I think one's at least one of them is in, is based out of Canada. Maybe this, the other one as well with like the indigenous perspective on all sorts of things. So follow those. It'll, it'll open up your mind a little bit. What you got, Jess? Um, so I am going to kind of go in the opposite direction. <laughs> uh, maybe not quite the opposite. Anyway, the so what I'm recommending this week is um, a, a young adult novel, a fictional novel. We love YA novel. Mm-hmm. It's called Like Other Girls, and it is by Britta Lundin, L-U-N-D-I-N. Fun fact, Britta is my high school BFF. Um, what? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. We go way back, all the way to high school. Actually, middle school. Um, I've known her since I was 11 or 12. And uh, Britta went to college uh, for political science and then decided to go get an MFA in filmmaking. Um, And then she wrote for uh, a little show on the CW network called Riverdale. Oh, my God. Uh What? How have you been burying this lead for years? Uh, I don't know. Uh, Anyway, so she's she's kind of a big time superstar now. So Like Other Girls is her second YA novel. um, And this one is about a uh, a high school girl who is living in rural Oregon and, you know, finding herself coming of age. Mm. um, Mm. And she joins the football team. Excellent. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, it's reckoning with sexism and, uh, internal, uh, internalized misogyny and internalized homophobia. And she's like figuring out her sexuality and like coming up with labels and like trying to find out how to accept herself and get her family to accept her. And it's just, it's so good. It's so, 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 so good. It's diverse. It's queer as shit. It's a little bit (laughs) like my high school experience. In fact, there's an entire page uh, that is literally ripped from my particular life (laughs) And when I got to it, I screenshot, I was reading the ebook and I screenshotted it and I sent it to Britta and I went, shut the fuck up. This is my life. Like you and I did this together. And she was like, yup. And I was like, this is amazing. Um, what? Yeah. It's a really good book. So check it out. Like other girls, uh, by, by Britta Lundin. And also Britta's a great follow on Instagram and Twitter and just like out in the world. Just Britta's amazing. She's just amazing. And I'm. Sounds like it. I'm so happy to just watch her take over the world. We're not super uh, close anymore, but you know, that's the way it goes with high school friends. Sure. Um, yeah. But it's, it's been just, I'm just so proud to, to know her and, and love her. And um, you know, every time something happens for her, I text and then, you know, we text a little bit, but that's anyway, it's a good book. You should read it. Oh, that's so cool. I have major questions about like the weird turns on Riverdale, but that's neither here nor there. (laughs) That show is wild. Yeah. She doesn't write for the show anymore. I think she left Uh after like the first season or season. Okay. Well, good call Britta. Cause yeah. Oh um, man. That show's bananas. To write for uh, a show on HBO, Betty, maybe. (gasps) I love Betty. Yeah. She wrote for Betty. Um, What? And then also there's a there god it's a brand new show it's on currently maybe it's on fox and it's got something to do with uh the big leap or the biggest leap is that what it's called um anyway she writes for that okay well i fucking love betty shit you want to talk about a show that's (laughs) well maybe i should talk about it in another happy hour because that's a fucking great show about girls doing stereotypically boy stuff you know what i mean like yeah yeah oh it's so good anyway so good uh so moving that's super cool that's our happy hour and now we're going to pivot to meet the contemporary who the fuck is this Cyril Turner guy? There's just not a lot to know about him is the thing. Um, so Cyril Turner is a Jacobean playwright because um, he wrote 
mostly in the 1600s, well, just all of the 1600s and not any of the Elizabethan part of that. Um, he <laughs> is one of early modern literature's more shady characters. Uh, this is what? what I well, this is what I've learned about him on uh, the Wikipedia. So take it with a grain of salt. Um, it says Cyril Turner was the son, or possibly the grandson, of Edward Turner of Cannons, Great Parndon in Essex, and his second wife, Frances Baker. That's neither here nor there. That doesn't make him shady. Although, why can't the writer figure out if he's the son or the grandson? I don't know. Uh, records, he served, babe. Records. I, I guess they're not he good. He served in his youth. Sir Francis Vere and Sir Edward Cecil. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. The Cec- is would that be the same Cecil family as Probably, Robert Cecil? But no, Probably. No. Um, his literary activities seem to be concentrated in the period of 1600 to 1613. In 1613 and 1614, he was employed in military and diplomatic service in the Low Countries. In 1625, he was appointed to be secretary to the Council of War for the Cadiz expedition. This appointment was canceled, but Turner sailed in Cecil's company to Cadiz. And on return from the voyage uh, from the disastrous expedition, he was put ashore at Kinsale with other sick men and died in Ireland on the 28th of February in 1626. So shady just because we don't know a lot about him, not because he was like doing nefarious shit. Although I don't know, a diplomat in military and diplomatic service sounds to me like a spy. Sounds like I mean, yeah, I believe his majesty's spy. But also like all of the playwrights were spies. And by all of them, I mean (laughs) Marlowe. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So. so, like, I don't know, but yes, there's really not a yeah. whole lot to know about the guy. That's kind of yeah. his life yeah. in a nutshell. Yeah. Uh, so he wrote some shit. Not, a little bit. Not really a lot. Um, no. Pretty much, we know him for the atheist tragedy. Uh, there's also um, the Nobleman, which is a lost play, and then the Arraignment of London, which is another lost play. And I quickly googled that because i was like no we have arraignment of london but no we have arraignment of paris uh-huh. <laughs> yeah Big which is george difference. peel um <laughs> yeah so that's uh that's that's cyril turner i'm not gonna say the last thing because you're oh. you you stole my thunder for later <laughs> oh i'm sorry oh okay that's fine all right well there's another detail about cyril turner that we will get to later apparently yeah. dun 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 yeah. very mm-hmm. suspenseful all right cyril turner <laughs> That was all that we know about your life. Uh, That's all we got. Uh, Okay, so since this is a 101 episode, we're going to give you our five-word unhelpful titles. Mine is The Further Adventures of Baraccio. (laughs) Headcanon accepted. Yes. Um, Mine is Want to Get Laid? Be a Ghost. Oh, oh, that's what I've been doing wrong? Damn it. Yeah. Ugh. Okay. You gotta you gotta dress up as a ghost. Uh, I'm I'm teaching this play in my class this week. Um, we start it on Wednesday, and in in an effort to entice my students to actually read the play, I've been teasing this get dressed up as a ghost to get laid bit. <laughs> um, so we'll we'll see. We'll see. It's a good bit. Mm-hmm. It's not the whole play, but it is the thing that I remember most from the play. So, <laughs> um, okay, so we've got some dramatis personae. Uh, right. Okay, so it's the the character list is what yeah. we're gonna do now. I'm gonna start yes. it uh, with our main character, our protagonist. His name is Charlemont. 
he is a young baron. Also, all of this uh, happens in France, P.S. So they're all like French names, but it's an English play. So, yeah. you know, we're going to we're going to butcher the names. Right. Because we do. They're all French <laughs> names, except for like the really horny people who are clearly Italian <laughs> and have Italian names. Okay. We also have Montferrer, his dad, or Montferrers, if we're yeah, going to say Montferrers. Okay. Montferrers. Yeah. Yep. His father. Um, then we have Diamville, who is the titular atheist. He is Montferrers' brother and Charlemont's uncle. Uh-huh. So an evil uncle. Mm. Mm. Sounding more and more like Hamlet. We mm. have the hilariously named Langabo Snuff, <laughs> a Puritan chaplain. Yeah, P.S. totally never picked up. I've read this play like four times, never picked up on the fact that he was a Puritan or a chaplain. So well mm. done, Turner. <laughs> Right. <laughs> um, all right. This brings us to Castabella, who is a young gentlewoman. She is Charlemagne's girlfriend. Oh, his girlfriend. We mm-hmm. have Roussard, D'Amville's sick, impotent oldest son. Then there's Baraccio, who's D'Amville's servant. I'm telling you, Baraccio. I'm telling you, it's I the know, same I fucking know, Baraccio. He I just know. ran away. I know. From Don Pedro. I know. And ended up and ended up in France. Had poor, cannon poor accepted. Man. Yeah, I know. Okay. Uh, we have Sebastian, D'Amville's younger son. Then we have Levadocia, who is Castabella's stepmother. Again, also completely missed that she was the stepmother. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah. We have Fresco, a uh, young man. Mm-hmm. And Belforest, who is Castabella's dad and Levadocia's husband. And then we have Cataplasma, a milliner. Hey, Aubrey, what's a milliner? Uh, someone who mills grain? No. No, someone okay, who makes then hats. I don't know. Oh, oh, I thought a hat maker was a um, haberdasher. Aw, oh, shit, we're going to have to look it up? Or are they synonyms? I legit I think, don't know. I, I really, truly don't yeah, know. No, because mil- millinery is the art of making hats okay i was um, yeah i was for sure just no it's hat making you're right yeah um, uh, a person who makes or sells women's hats uh-huh so what's what the difference that? between a milliner and a haberdasher <laughs> a business person oh who sells small things for sewing and oh okay so a haberdasher is like the supplier for a milliner i would imagine uh. they sell like notions and buttons and ribbons and zippers and stuff Got it. Okay. Sewing well, articles are called haberdashery. Later, also specifically a hatter. Well, well. You know, you come ain't language for the funny. drama. <laughs> you come for the drama and you stay for the, <laughs> the English language history. Anyway, uh, this brings us finally. Come for the drama, to... stay for the etymology. Yeah. Uh, so, Kat is our last character. She's uh, Catapaz's maid. Excellent. And we've learned what haberdashery and millinery is along the way. I love it so much. Yeah, no, I was just going with my root words, making, trying to make a a guess on context clues. It was a great guess. It was a super great guess. Guessed super wrong. But it doesn't make any kind of sense that a person, like a a miller Mm -hmm. and not a milliner, 
would would be in the play. <laughs> so, why would someone who yeah. mills grain end up in this play with a bunch of aristocrats? Yeah. I don't know. It's not, um, it's not a thing. Well, anyway, Jess, you tell me, why should this play be so goddamn popular? Because it's just, it's so fantastic. I don't want to spoil it, so I'm not gonna. I'm just, we're gonna let the summary speak for itself, and then our sure. enthusiasm speak for itself. Excellent. But this play is, it's it's great. It's so, it's just, I, it's, mm-hmm. I love it. And you're going to love it too. <laughs> great. If you need yeah. more reasons to love it, I should remind folks that a million years ago, we did a midsummer mini sode and this was one of them. We did. If we you did. want summary and nothing else, we yeah. did a midsummer mini episode on just on this play. And that, that is the extended summary. This is yes. a, somehow much abridged summary yes Yes. and it's still pretty long it's i think it's gonna be more than five minutes Eh, well i mean it's it's fine it's all good let's do it summary time uh so we will now summarize atheist tragedy for you in a segment that this week we're calling atheism doesn't pay kids Mm -mm. it's not it's not don't be doesn't pay kids it it's doesn't pay cheap. kids and it doesn't pay kids. <laughs> Punctuation matters. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay. <laughs> you ready? Yep. Here we go. All right. So, so in act one, Charlemont wants to go to war to gain honor, but his father, Montferrers, won't pay for it. His uncle, D'Anville, however, willingly pays his way. In Charlemont's absence, D'Anville plans to wait for Montferrers' death, which won't be long coming because Montferrers is old. Uh, and so he's going to recoup his money from sending Charlemont to war by being named Montferrers' heir while Charlemont is at war. It's a little convoluted, but you get it. Okay. So Montferrers reluctantly gives Charlemont his blessing to go to war. Charlemont bids farewell to his girlfriend, Castabella, who has a premonition of ill fortune. And Charlemont is just like, nah, bitch, stop you're dreaming it's cool um can we just sorry sidebar when women have prophetic dreams and visions maybe fucking listen to them it's fine okay such a terrible trope Charlemont tells his friend Langabo Snuff to comfort Castabella in his absence and he leaves. The moment he is gone, D'Anville contracts Langabo to negotiate a marriage between Castabella and his eldest son, the sickly Roussard. Okay, mm. so even though Castabella and Charlemagne are in love, they are being usurped. Um D'Anville then instructs Baraccio to disguise himself as Charlemont for uh-huh. hijinks. You know, just like it's casual hijinks. It's real good. good. Um, Roussard tries to woo Castabella and she's like, nah, I love Charlemagne. Uh, Castabella's father is annoyed at her refusal of Roussard and he vows to have them married tonight. She begs Langabo to help her stay true to Charlemagne. Langabo's like, Charlemagne's a bitch and says that, you know, (laughs) he must not actually love her because he was willing to leave her. So like, Nah. Castabella protests the marriage, and just before her father marches her off to church, Sebastian, who is Roussard's younger brother, calls this a rape. Um, it does not spare her, and they all leave for church. Sebastian wishes for swift illness or death to Roussard that he might be more easily cuckolded. Wow. Brotherly love. It's cute. I mean, at least somebody called a rape a rape for once in one of these yeah. plays. Yeah. 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 You know, yeah. Yeah. anyway, in act two, 
Everyone is gathered to celebrate Castabella and Roussard's marriage. Oh, yay. They mm. also drink a toast to Charlemont, who's off at war. Baraccio, disguised as a soldier, turns up. He tells a harrowing story of disaster at battle and reports that Charlemont is dead, drowned, and washed away at sea. Castabella immediately leaves. Baraccio produces a scarf he counterfeits as Charlemont's uh, as proof of his death, and D'Amville orders the bearer of bad news out of the house and then secretly congratulates him on playing his part really well. He's like, good job, bro. You really did really well. <laughs> Langabeau brings news that Montferrers has named D'Amville as his heir with the caveat that he can change his will whenever he pleases for whatever reason. Oh, that's a great caveat. I want that caveat. Yeah. Castabella one. cries over Charlemont like you do. Roussard promises to leave her alone for the night since he's still so sick. Sebastian asks... How do you pronounce this one again? Levadulcia? Levadulcia. Levadulcia to help him reconcile to his father and then departs, promising to meet her at home shortly. She is entranced with his boldness and wants to do him. <laughs> Period. End stop. Wants to do him. Fresco <laughs> enters with a lantern and she decides to go to bed with him since he's, you know, there. Convenient. Walking home in the dark, D'Amville pushes Montferrer's into a gravel pit where Baraccio is waiting with large stones to bludgeon him to death. D'Amville makes a show of grief, but then helps Baraccio out of the pit and congratulates him on a job well done. Levidulcia seduces Fresco, but hides him when Sebastian knocks at the door, who then comes in and kisses her. This is getting sexier by the minute. Then her husband, Belforest, enters, and Sebastian quickly cuts himself with a rapier and runs out. Levidulcia plays it off as if Sebastian had chased Fresco into the chamber to try to kill him, and thus explains the pre presence of both men. Which, like, quick thinking, lady. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Fresco invents a quarrel between himself and Sebastian, and Belforest shows him out the back way. Montferrer's ghost visits Charlemont in a dream and tells him to return to France and see what he can see, but to leave revenge to God. Hmm, it's like the anti-Hamlet. <laughs> a little bit. All right, so in Act 3, D'Anville hosts the funerals for Montferrer's and Charlemont. Castabella cries over Charlemont's grave, and then he arrives and consoles her. She faints because... Obviously. Um, he then accuses her of infidelity and, you know, everything else before she can, like, explain everything. Um, Charlemagne then goes to see his uncle and D'Ambo's like, oh, the ghost of Charlemagne. Because, ah! you know. Danville's a crafty motherfucker. Um, <laughs> Sebastian tries to strike Charlemont, who's like a ghost, but not a ghost. And then Charlemont strikes back, wounding Sebastian. Then we get an actual ghost. Montferrer's <laughs> ghost appears and he says, hey, Charlemont, bro, restrain yourself. Leave the revenge to God. Danville has Charlemont arrested and then he gives Sebastian a thousand crowns to seek out a surgeon for his injuries. However, Sebastian decides to use the crowns to ransom Charlemont, who is an honorable man, just mm. like Brutus. Brutus? Brutus. Brutus is an, Brutus honorable, is an man. honorable man. Castabella pleads with D'Anville for Charlemont's release. Roussard greets Charlemont. He's still, you know, real, real sick. And he, he's like, hey, wife, Castabella, sorry I haven't been able to fuck you, but I'm super sick. Mm. It's kind of hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Act Four, Levidulcia and Sebastian have an assignation at Cataplasma's house. D'Amville is annoyed with Charlemont's presence. 
like you would be, I guess, and directs mm-hmm. Baraccio to murder him in the churchyard, where his death will be taken for a grave robbery gone awry. Meanwhile, maybe grave robbery? Did I insert that word? In, for a robbery gone grave. awry. Yeah. Okay, well, any kind of robbery, just gone badly, whatever. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, he takes Castabella for a walk so he can rape her, ew, and mm-hmm. make sure she gets pregnant, ew! Mm-hmm. Baraccio's Pistol misfires, and Charlemont has the opportunity to defend himself. He kills Baraccio, and then he takes the opportunity to escape. Langabo seduces Soquette in that same churchyard and disguises himself as Montferrer's ghosts, so that if anyone happens upon them, he won't be charged with lechery. <laughs> That's genius. Dresses Charlemont- up as a ghost to get laid in a graveyard, and it fucking works. Come on! Yep. Charlemont comes through and scares them off and picks up the disguise. He uses it for himself and hides himself in a charnel house. D'Anville and Castabella come in. D'Anville begins to press Castabella to sleep with him and then says he'll force her. Charlemont comes out of the charnel house in his disguise as a ghost and frightens off D'Anville, rescuing Castabella. They nap together in the graveyard before returning home. Well, so they must be just so tired. They just nap. Okay, Langabo comes back looking for Soquette and finds Baraccio's body and begins to, you know, romance it uh, before he discovers that it's male and dead. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, this play is so good. D'Anville hears Langabo shouting murder and thinks it's Montferrer's ghost haunting him. The watch arrives, finds Charlemont and Castabella sleeping with death's heads, you know, because like charnel house, and arrests them both. Belforest worries over his wife's chastity and questions Fresco, who admits his mistress Cataplasma is acting as a bod for Levidocia and Sebastian. Belforest sends the watch after Fresco. Belforest and the watch arrive at Cataplasmas to find Sebastian, Levidocia, and Fresco. So they've been caught. Sebastian and Belforest fight. Both die. Levidocia weeps over her husband's body and then stabs herself because what else is a horny ass lady supposed to do <laughs> except murder herself? Yeah. Uh, the watch then arrests the remaining the remaining people. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to bring it home. Act five. Oh Montferrer's ghost visits D'Anville in a dream and tells him he's about to reap the harvest of his folly. Oh Love a prophetic dream. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sebastian's dead body is brought in as well as the dying Roussard. D'Anville calls for a doctor who can do nothing to help and Roussard dies. D'Anville goes to court with the bodies of his sons calling for judgment. Uh, D'Anville abuses Charlemont and Charlemont says he's ready to die. He climbs the scaffold and castabella climbs up after him charlemont tells the justices to pardon castabella but she says she's ready to die with charlemont the executioners arrive and d'anville protests that he will act as executioner himself because only someone high born can execute charlemont castabella and charlemont kneel to die and as d'anville raises the axe he strikes out his own brains what he confesses uh-huh he confesses everything and dies charlemont is restored to all of his titles and lands castabella inherits her dead father's titles and lands and they rush off to get married before attending the funeral of d'anville the end <laughs> i love this play right i love it i love so, it like, so much As I think I have said, I've read this play a bunch of times. I am still unsure whether strikes out his own brains is on purpose or an accident. Yeah. It's I mean, what a fun choice. I know. Right. I think it must be an accident because that would be the tragedy. But also maybe 
dying by suicide is the tragedy. I don't know. Um, you want to read oh, some man. of this? Yeah, it's time for a taste of text. Um, but which part of it? We never did oh, quite God. land but on. We we gotta we gotta read the the graveyard shit. I mean, I guess so. Yeah, you know the ghost yeah. business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but which part of the grave shit? Because okay, um, I'm at four three in the churchyard. Yeah. So it's like it's like pretty much the beginning. So it's okay. it's it's after the Baraccio Charlemont stuff. I want to read like the the Langbo and Soquet. Excellent. <laughs> the the actual seduction of the ghost. <laughs> <laughs> Starting with a nay good Sarah, I dare not. That part right there. Yes. Great. Um uh, okay. So may I please be Langabo snuff? Oh girl. Please seduce me, please. I I love a horny Puritan. I know you do. Uh, Okay, so to set it up, uh, this is Act 4, Scene 3. It's part of Act 4, Scene 3. This is the homie dresses up as a ghost to get laid in a graveyard and it works portion of the play. Uh, So Aubrey's going to be Langabo Snuff and I'm going to be So Cat. I think that's my So Cat voice. I I feel like a... Like a, a coquettish soquette. Yeah, mm. yeah. I think that's, mm. yep. Mm-hmm. Nay, good sir, I dare not. In good sooth, I come of a generation both by father and mother that will, were all as fruitful as costermongers' wives. Tush! Then a timpani is the greatest danger can be feared. Their fruitfulness turns but to a certain kind of phlegmatic, windy disease. I must put my understanding to your trust, sir. I would be loath to be deceived. No, conceive thou shalt not. Yet thou shalt profit by my instruction, too. My body is not every day drawn dry, wench. Yet methinks, sir, your want of use should rather make your body like a well. The lesser tis drawn, the sooner it grows dry. Thou shalt try that instantly. But we want both place and opportunity. We have both. This is the backside of the house, which the superstitious call St. Winifred's Church, and it is verily a convenient, unfrequented place, where, under the close curtains of the night, you purpose in the dark to make me light. (gasps) Snuff pulls out a sheet, a hair, and a beard. But what have you there? This disguise, for security's sake, wench. There's a talk, thou knowst, that the ghost of old Montferrer's walks. In this church he was buried. Now if any stranger fall upon us before our business be ended, in this disguise I shall be taken for that ghost, and never be called to examination, I warrant thee. Thus we shall scape both prevention and discovery. How do I look in this habit, wench? So like a ghost that notwithstanding I have some foreknowledge of you, you make my hair stand almost on end. I will try how I can kiss in this beard. Oh, fie, fie, fie. I will put it off and then kiss and then put it on. I can do the rest without kissing. (laughs) This play is great. I know. And then they get spooked because Charlemagne comes back. Yes. Yes. Anyway. Re-enter Charlemont doubtfully with his sword drawn. He comes upon them before they are aware. They run out different ways, leaving the disguise behind. The stage directions in this are just chef's kiss. They're real good. They're real good. I mean, raises the axe and strikes out his own brain. It's just, it's one of the all-time great stage directions. Yeah. Yeah. So. Oh, man. 
<laughs> so that was your taste of text. Um, yeah. I hope you. I hope it leaves you like drooling for more. Because oh yeah. man. Yeah. Oh man. Well, and that's. I mean, that's a, a real good segue into you know what I want to talk about. So, um, I just real fast. So the text was printed in 1611 from authorial papers, which is really fucking cool. Um, it is also called the tragedy of the atheist or the honest man's revenge. Um, which I, I love is like a subtitle. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was printed for the first time in 1611 and then not printed again until 1792, which is a long ass time. Too long. It is a long ass play. time. Um, for the long, a long time, uh, Turner was considered the author of Revenger's tragedy as well. Oh, which that is was pretty the interesting. Tidbit. We did that was the tidbit. before. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there is, in fact, uh, a lot of scholarship on this play, but not a lot that's easily accessible or distillable for the pod. So I want to talk about the scene that we just read. Um, act four scene three the churchyard scene so like what all happens in this scene so we've got we've got the the dresses up as a ghost biz yeah Yeah. we have that we also have the um charlemont murders baraccio kind of accidentally Mm -hmm. we've that biz um we have the Charlemagne and uh, castabella reunited biz uh Mm -hmm. and then they you know take a nap in a graveyard is. like i mean you do you man i'm not here to yuck your yum if you're into that young people I'm go for super it super here to yuck your yum like i understand why they do it because like <laughs> drama but also you dumb idiots i mean yeah like you I have mean. just killed a man your father has been murdered which you know because he visited you in your dream as a ghost like shit's not right don't fucking stick around a goddamn graveyard I guess not. with your girlfriend using fucking death's heads as fucking pillows but like what if it's halloween and you're just into that but I it don't... wasn't <laughs> well Is why it not it could be well you but it, it's not oh fine <laughs> yeah um so so that's uh that's that's kind of all um that's been going on oh also this is the scene where uh d'amville tries to rape castabella like it's it's that whole scene there's so much happening there's so much going on so what do you think aubrey Mm. is is the symbolism with with the link between the setting and the action uh the setting and the action yes the graveyard versus all the shit that happens in the graveyard yeah yeah like Uh, this way leads to death like (laughs) these are the things that will doom you Mm -hmm. pretty literally i guess i mean yeah but like it's it's kind of heavy-handed i mean i'm sure there's more at work there yeah um you know but this is this is what i'm going to talk about with my students next week is like look at all the shit that goes down in the graveyard and then like what what in fact is the uh the symbolism there what's the message what is turner saying also let's talk about the the like title of the play real fast it is the atheist's tragedy not you know the honest man's tragedy not the good christian man's tragedy right atheist's tragedy and like yeah D'Anville's kind of a shitbag, yeah. right? Um, he's greedy. He murders his brother. He tries to rape his 
daughter-in-law. Um, it's not cute. He does a lot of shitty, horrible things. Uh, and the, the play is kind of linking, I think all of those actions to the fact that he is an atheist, right? Like, Mm. oh, no Christian could do such a thing. Right. Although we have a whole canon of literature that would indicate, you know, history. Yeah. Um, Christians are capable of doing some terrible, terrible, terrible shit. Right. It's not like everybody it's, else. Uh huh. It's not only the atheists who who do bad things. So yeah, it's just I just I really love this play. I really love that scene in particular. I think it's a really to borrow uh, our friend Sheila's phrase, a really rich text. Mm, yes. <laughs> um, with lots of things to sink your teeth into, and I. I can't wait to see what my students think of it. I'm, I've never taught the play before. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm teaching, you know, at a Catholic university. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes over. Of course, they will, you know, have to read the play in order for it to go over right. at all. But right. um, we'll see. <laughs> we'll yeah. See. I'm excited to hear their hot takes. I really yeah. am. Yeah. 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 That's going to be a treat. <laughs> Totally. Anyway, uh, I, I suppose I didn't really have a, a whole lot of a point there. Just uh, these are some things about the play that I really like. Yeah. Um, so some stuff that I really like is I do think this is a fun play to read. I was saying to Jess off air that like mm-hmm. sometimes these early modern texts are like a real slog to read with your eyes instead of <laughs> watching it and hearing it. You know, um, sometimes it really is a chore. Like I was just telling someone earlier today, like, ugh, don't read that. Like, go see it. You know, not yeah. this play in particular, but like of another early modern play. What play? And uh, Pericles. <laughs> It's a messy okay, text. Oh, yeah. I mean, I love Pericles, but like, see it. It's easier to. Yeah, that's it's, fair. It's, that's there's fair. so much travel, like whatever. That's fair. Yeah, um, yeah. But like, the, so there's sometimes a lot of stuff that like gets in your way and you're like, what is happening? But it's actually, this play is actually really fun to read. Um, I love that it kind of does. It does read like a morality play, like a, it, it feels like a medieval morality play in a lot of ways. It really does. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because the characters have, like, symbolic names, and they are, like, some of them are just whole embodiments of vices, like Damville. Hello, mm-hmm. Damville. Like, he just, <laughs> sure. you know, you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. and he's, and he's damned, and he's a total Machiavell, and he's kind of Trumpy, actually. He's very Donald mm-hmm. Trumpy um, with the greed and the rapiness um, and the not caring about anybody else Um, that's my hot take if anybody wants to like revive the atheist tragedy on the modern stage and you want to like put an oversized tie on a a bad blonde wig and a big suit like you should totally do that with Danville Um, there's so there's you know lots of uh, buck basket things as it were like tough things to stage there is that you know near rape Um, there's then the earlier like discussion of rape Right. Which is never resolved. The men are all just like, well, yeah, but we don't care. (laughs) Right. Like Sebastian's like, this is a rape. This is very clearly a rape. You're doing this against her will. And they're like, meh, whatever. Um, So there's some stuff that you got to like handle with care. There are some ridiculous fights and moments of violence that are awesome. Um, I would love to see this. And like, I would also love to see like a Halloween concept on this. Now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, I Mm -hmm. want full gore. Uh, and like like Grand Guignol level gore in mm-hmm. here, 
um, I think would be super fun and horrifying. This would make a really fun Halloween show. Yeah. Um, you got these ghosts. You've got all of that business in the graveyard. With <laughs> like, I'm sorry, just the napping in the graveyard like cracks. Me I know up. it's so. It's it's uh, like, <laughs> are you that tired from your reunion? Right. Like that you just you're like, oh, I'm just feeling so dozy. Mm-hmm. And like, you're telling me that like a good Christian girl who has just like survived an attempted rape and is reunited with her boyfriend who she thought was dead. Uh, you're telling me that like she can just go to sleep in a graveyard or that she can just go to sleep period. I would think the adrenaline would be pumping way too hard to go to sleep. I mean, yeah. yeah. Come on, Turner. Come on. I mean, I mean, but Turner like, is this, you know, is napping a euphemism for like doing it? Probably not. He doesn't care to be like. Yeah, you know, because she's a good really, Christian girl. Yeah, he doesn't really hide it in other parts of the play either. Like y'all heard what we read for you. Like he is very, <laughs> he's pretty explicit. Like there are parts of this that are just filthy, and it's really great. Yeah. Um. I mean, since you brought it up, the whole strikes out his own brains thing is a really fun choice to play with. Like, mm-hmm. can't you could I think play it as a deliberate act of sacrifice, right? Um. And repentance of of the wrongdoer. That's a pretty common theme in a lot of these plays, too. Of Like, the wrongdoer is like, yep, I done wrong. I guess I'll go kill myself now. Okay, bye. Sure. <laughs> um, like Levidulcia, right? She's like, yeah, yeah, I'm a whore. I guess I'll go die, <laughs> you know. So you could play it as deliberate. Or, or I don't know, like, is his arm possessed? Like, is this a disobedient... <laughs> Is this a disobedient prop problem? Like, is this a right. classic sort of clown problem where it's like, stop yeah. hitting yourself, stop hitting yourself, like, <laughs> stop putting the axe in your head? Um, I would I, pay to see that version. I mean, yeah, you know, like, how do you accidentally strike out your own brains? I think I think there are options in there, but like, I would be mm-hmm. very curious to see how you accidentally do that. Do you just like lose arm function while the axe is above your head and it just like bonks you? I yeah, don't, yeah, and like. Wow. Like, wow. I, I don't I don't know. Um, so some fun, some fun staging options. I mm-hmm. also kind of can't tell if this is a tragedy anymore. Like it's yeah. called the atheist tragedy and there's a lot of death and murder uh, and like, you know, dark, sinister themes. But uh, at the same time, like the young people get married at the end. Mm-hmm. I mean, that reads to me like a comedy. <laughs> so. So I don't I don't know. Um, also, yeah, some parts of it just more... laugh out loud. They're just laugh yeah. out loud ridiculous. It's a little more tragic comedy, I think, and yeah. also a little more like cautionary tale than sure. yeah. Back to that morality know. play yeah, business. Yeah. 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 Um, so I I just really hope one day that this play makes it to the stage. It's really due for a revival. Like it really yeah. and truly is, but like a like a wide scale revival. You know, like a like a big like a like a globe or off Broadway, mm-hmm. you know, like let's get fucking Denzel into atheist tragedy sure. instead yeah. of Macbeth. Like <laughs> this is what I want for myself is like I would watch I would watch a Denzel atheist tragedy. I don't give mm. two shits about a Denzel and Macbeth. I just don't. I didn't realize that's happening. Oh, yeah. Is yeah, there Denzel a and um, Denzel? it's not. No, it's a movie. Uh, oh, another Macbeth movie. Yeah, Jesus fucking Christ! And uh, Viola Davis. 
No. <laughs> My favorite power couple. <laughs> um, I don't, I forget who the woman is. Oh, um, well. Eh, okay. Someone also famous, I'm pretty sure. Sure. But is, it didn't, The world anyway. does not need another Macbeth I, This is what I'm saying. And like people lost their fucking minds on Twitter. And then I was like, surely, like I cannot be the only early modernist who does not give two shits about another goddamn adaptation. And people were like, how dare you? And then I was like, sorry, y'all. I just, come on. Like there's so many others you could do. Like, yeah. Give me something out there. There's also, be like, I just, what, 10 Macbeth movies at this point? There's so yeah. many. They're rivaling Hamlet's right now. And I, I feel so like many. we have sort of proven that Shakespeare on film in these sort of big blockbuster productions doesn't actually do all that well. Like the Fassbender Macbeth is trash. It is. Yeah. It's so bad. And I think was critically panned. I don't although recall. that might just be my criticism. <laughs> because that movie is horrific. Anyway. Oh, God. It's so slow and boring. <sighs> like, it, oh, God. It's they really sucked terrible. out all of the good stuff. I'm so, I am furious steaming that I lost. pile of crap yeah it's the worst it's <laughs> the absolute worst thing we did um, promise hot takes uh, at the top of this episode you know, we did. and here we you did. have them about a yeah. play we're not even talking about today no, we <laughs> took a left turn um, we did we did all right should we play a game instead yeah <laughs> let's play a game cool um, we're gonna do that. first, first time we played a game this season yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're going to play Lost Play Roulette. Mm -hmm. um, it's a relatively new game. So the way yes. it works is uh, I uh, this time it's my turn. So mm -hmm. Jess is going to give me a, a year and then a letter to choose from so the Lost I'm Plays gonna, database, right? I thought I would roll for a year. Oh, okay, great. Okay, and great. Then, and then you I'll got have your you dice. pick a letter. Yeah. Okay, great. Um, and that's... A uh, slightly, I think, more random. So we're going to start with cool. with a, a one because the years start with one. Great, anyway, and then based on based on the title that we end up at in the Lost Plays database, I'm going to uh, hypothesize what the plot of that play might have been. Mm -hmm. So that's the game, and I get a minute to do it. All right, fifteen ninety. So. We're still uh, refining this game. Folks, fifteen ninety. Okay, fifteen ninety five. Let me see what okay. we got. Fifteen ninety five. Fifteen ninety five. Now we have good actual. Year. We have we have actual good choices. Okay, excellent. Okay. Um, there are enough letters that just like pick one and then we'll great, see. great. Okay. Uh, give me, give me an S. S. We have two S's. Uh. Okay. Okay. Uh, okay, okay. Uh, give me number two. Seven Days of the Week, Part One. <laughs> oh my God! Seven Days of the Week, Part One. Fifteen ninety-five. Seven Days of the Week, Part One. I'm giving myself a minute now. Okay, so this play starts on Monday. Uh, and it's about, <laughs> I mean, this is called the seven days of the week. So, okay. It starts on Monday. Um, and our protagonist, let's call him Sidley, has 
Sidley has a has a case of the Mondays. He's your local haberdasher, and <laughs> <laughs> um, and like no one comes into his shop to buy notions and stuff. Tuesday, uh, a lovely young lady comes in and buys some ribbons for a hat, and Sidley thinks she's a hottie McHottie with a body. And wants to get with that. And then she walks away and he didn't get her number. So, or, or the early modern version of her number. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, Wednesday, it's hump day. Sidley's taking out the trash for the trash collection. That did not happen in the 1590s either. Um, oh, was that my timer? Really? Damn it, I only got to Wednesday. It's fine. We're well, just going to Thursday, cr- Friday, and Saturday. It shit. ends with Sunday and they get married and stuff, I guess. Yeah. It was a comedy altogether. It's, yeah, yeah. It's like that Crave Day, Craig, Craig David song, Monday. Took her for a drink on Tuesday. It, there you go. We were making yeah. love by Wednesday. There it is. Yeah. And then they Yeah, I mean, now we know the yeah. roots of that song. We know the yeah. early modern roots of that song. Yeah. Um, yeah. So <laughs> tell me how, <laughs> how far off base I was. Well,. <laughs> There's not a whole lot of information, um, is the thing. We yes, do know, so, right. so the, the play shows up in Henslow's diary. The Admiral's men performed seven days of the week at the Rose Playhouse from August 1595 through December 1596 for 19 oh. performances. Damn. Um, several of those shows may or may not be for a second part. There is uh, some scholarly debate about whether Seven Days of the Week was a two-part play. Um, <laughs> it, maybe it stopped at Wednesday, too. Yeah, and, then, right? and then the second half of the week was part two. <laughs> yeah. Uh, some guy has made a connection between seven days of the week and something called the Christmas Prince, which I'm sorry, was Netflix around. Wow. In the 1590s. Apparently. Or the Hallmark channel by yeah. any chance. Oh my yeah. God. Yeah. There's not a whole lot. Okay. Subject. I mean, it matter. is a lost play. I wouldn't expect much. So. Yeah. Uh, Malone had no influence on the identity of seven days of the week. Nope. This means nothing. Who's Malone? Uh, I don't know what his first name is, but of the Malone Society. Ed fame. Ed, Ed. Maybe? Edmund Malone? Yeah, might that be that guy. right. Oh, wait. Okay. Matt Stiegel says that Seven Days of the Week is an inset show. I'm not sure what an inset show is uh, that begins with the entry of a personified Monday who delivers a verse oration praising himself until he is beaten off stage by Tuesday, who then in turn praises himself until supplanted by Wednesday and so on. Interesting. Well, I was right that it started with Monday. Uh Uh-huh. So. Um, (laughs) Yes. (laughs) How funny. So the Mm -hmm. days are personified. Mm. Yeah. Uh, that's about it. That's, that's, uh, well, all right. Yeah. I mean, um, no. <laughs> and then personally, the- I would rather see my version and figure out how Sidley manages to get the girl by Sunday, but yeah, right. it's fine. Uh, yeah. so the, the entry for seven days of the week ends with a, a section that's just called for what it's worth. <laughs> um, and that reads, uh, it's one sentence Collier, who's a, a big time, um, 
know, like bibliographer, mm-hmm. annotator, antiquary uh-huh. guy. He like recorded a lot of shit. Uh, Collier provided a note to the entry of seven days of the week on three June, 1595, with which everyone who works with lost plays can sympathize. He said, quote, a new play of which like many more we hear on no other authority. <laughs> so cool seven days cool story bro i know right um also your your other s choice just for you to know was something called celio and olimpo oh i know it's got to be a greek play should have chosen door number one it's fine next time next time maybe uh okay well, what, are we, what happens next <laughs> where are um we? next is uh shakes bubble gossip in oh, right. we have during nothing. which we've both decided <laughs> that because we've had our heads literally buried in sand we got nothing to say yeah <laughs> i got nothing uh, oh no wait i have one thing oh yay saa the shakespeare association of america yes is on instagram now oh their handle is saa updates you can follow cool. them it's the same content they post on Twitter, but as images but like with, with text on them <laughs> now. <laughs> Good job, SAA. Yeah. Thanks for yeah. joining the 2010s. I know. They tried <laughs> to follow me, and I was like, mm, I don't actually think you need to follow me on my Instagram, SAA. This is where I shit post. <laughs> Sorry. Cool. Well, um, yeah. for someone who's better at keeping up with gossip uh, than we are, go to uh, Lauren Halverson's blog, Nothing mm. for the Group. She's a dramaturg. She's got uh, the skinny on all kinds of happenings in the theater world, not just Shakespeare, really not Shakespeare focused at all. No, nope. her, her Shakespeare references are more like incidental if someone's doing a Shakespeare play. But um, she's got some really great theater gossip if you're super into that, because Jess and I fell down on the job this week. It's fine. No, no, no. Um, we didn't fall down on the job. We just like have other we just concerns. have jobs. We, we have, have jobs. We have our <laughs> actual jobs. Yes. To jobs not fall down on. Actually pay us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. so we got that. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you leave the podcast more informed than when you started and on a tear to produce The Atheist Tragedy wherever you are at. Fucking get it. Yeah. Um, Tune in next time. We're doing uh, a a show, the most popularly requested episode in five years. Um, It's finally coming for you. Night of the Burning Pestle um, with not one, but two (gasps) guest experts. We got two, y'all. And they're good. They're fucking good. So, I'm so excited. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really excited. All right. Wham it out. Yay. The Hurley Burley Shakespeare Show is produced and edited by Aubrey Whitlock and Jess Hamlet. If you enjoyed our podcast, please tell your friends, rate us, leave a review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you get your podcasts. For show notes and other stuff, you can visit our website at www.hurleyburleyshakespeareshow.com. You can get in touch with us by emailing holla h-o-l-l-a at hurlyburlyshakespeareshow.com you can also find us at hurlyburlyshakes on instagram or at hurlyburlyshake no s on twitter i acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land from which i record the muskegee creek nation and pay my respect to their elders past and present i acknowledge the traditional custodians of this land currently referred to as stanton virginia the Monacan and Manahoac nations, and pay my respect to their elders past and present. All opinions you heard are strictly our own and not affiliated with the institutions we represent. DP. Okay. Which, yep. you know, mm-hmm. is like Dramatis double persona. penetration. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a sex thing. What? <laughs> it's when, it's when there's,
more than one penis. Yes, yes, thank you. In a in a in a body, like in the in the bottom part, and then maybe also one in the top part. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Do you need me? Should I draw? No, you that's a, okay. no, that's okay.